2: And we are back. The Ultimate Premier League Review Podcast is here, looking back on every single Premier League game from this weekend. In the company of Talksport's football correspondent, Alex Crook. Hello. And the assistant editor of The Mirror, Darren Lewis. Hello. Both here with me, Sam Matterface, on the way. Hot Spurs, all not nothing for Arsenal. Leeds reborn with help from the USA. And after the naysayers mocked Erling last week, Ha ha, Harlan has the last laugh. Ha ha, yes, indeed. From Talk Sport, this is the Game Day Podcast. It's back, yes. Liverpool and City get their strikers off the mark. Brighton win at Old Trafford for the first time in their history. Chelsea win at Everton for the first time in six seasons. Newcastle's Callum Wilson and Mo Salah continue their fantastic runs on opening day uh, of the seasons and Team USA beat Team Portugal at Ellen Road. What did you enjoy most about the weekend, Darren?
3: City, uh, that was a bloodless, ruthless, Barcelona-like performance from them. Uh, I've seen a fair bit of West Ham over the years and obviously a lot of them under David Moyes, but they were just nowhere near... City, and let's just put Haaland to one side, City themselves, outstanding, the performance of the weekend.
2: Yeah, difficult to do putting Haaland to one side, as uh, <laughs> every single one of those West Ham defenders found out pretty quickly. Um, now listen, Crook, just wipe away a couple of those tears, it's that little one there that's still shining, <laughs> twinkling in the light, just just, just, just get rid of it, focus on the positives if you can, just for a second, and tell us what you thought was the best thing about the Premier League weekend.
4: I enjoyed Kiefer Moore's late header for Bournemouth against Aston Villa. Fantastic story. Uh, a player who 10 years ago was working as a lifeguard while playing non-league football for Dorchester and is now a Premier League goal scorer. and all being well, will be playing at the World Cup as well. Oh,
2: that's nice. So uh, you all, all managed to work in a reference to seagulls there because if he was working <laughs> as a lifeguard on a beach, you would have noticed the seagulls. And he is a big giant. And talking of giants, let's talk about the Manchester ones. One in particular that got slayed this weekend.
5: It's a new era, it's a new start, and these players have to start reacting for this football club. And Pascal Gross is just there from four yards out just to tap the ball into the back of the net. Not the start that Harry Ten Hag wanted. Manchester United nil, Brighton
1: 1. You should have done better, that's clear. And, but I know also right, that it will not come overnight.
5: Well, if it's going to get any worse, it's got worse. It's now Manchester United nil at Brighton Hall. in two. What are Manchester United doing? They are absolutely all over the place. Do
4: we blame the manager? And I think the team selection was a bit odd today. I understand that he was trying to make uh, a statement when it came to Cristiano Ronaldo.
5: Speculation and questions over Ronaldo over the last couple of days. Now, is he going to stay at Man United? Is he not? Well, look, they need him now, and he has to come up with the goods yet again. There
4: is a bit of responsibility on Ten Hag. He made. A triple alteration at the start of stoppage time that just it any momentum that Manchester United had why on earth is Eric Ten Hag waiting until the 89th minute
2: and 30th second to make big changes like that it is unbelievable
5: final whistle is just gone that is the final score Sam it's been an absolutely abysmal performance from Manchester United Manchester United won Brighton of Albion two
2: Yes, 93 days from the worst Manchester United performance in recent history. Graham Potter and Brighton beat them once again, this time at Old Trafford. It's the first time they've done that in their history. Um, Look, Eric Ten Hag's got a stark reminder here of just how big, how massive, how huge this Manchester United job, this project is going to be. But I want to start... With the positives okay. So let's put smiles on faces here and let's just embrace the fact that Danny Welbeck was absolutely fantastic. He was brilliant in pre season, he's got a good pre season behind him. He was superb all afternoon at Old Trafford, going back to his boyhood club, a club which bought him up and gave him a professional future. He went back there, he terrorized the Manchester United back line. So well done to him. Graham Potter deserves a big clap, a slap on the back because. He's dealing with all sorts, like Kukurea and Bisuma, two terrific players, leaving, but he's managed to find replacements and coach and cultivate a team that produce a terrific performance, Darren.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yes, he did rake in £88 million for Kukurea and Bisuma, but he hasn't been able to spend it yet. None of the new signings that he's made already were in the side. It is simply good old-fashioned, terrific coaching. They were organised, they were efficient, they used the ball well. Their distribution was excellent. Their hard work shamed Manchester United and they were full value for the win. I know United came back into it in the second half, but in the first, they were outplayed, outmaneuvered, outfought. And for me, they were utterly deserving of that victory.
2: Look, the other side of the ball is probably where we're going to focus a lot more of our attention. Uh, And and that's where the headlines are this morning. You're waking up, you're listening to this podcast, you're coming home from work, you're listening to this podcast. Everyone's been talking about Manchester United all day and just how bad they were. It was no secret, though, that this team needed a complete overhaul at the end of last season. We all knew that they needed new players. And it hasn't happened. We haven't seen that occur. no striker played in the team on, Saturday, on Sunday afternoon, wasn't selected. They went with a force nine, Ericsson at times, it was Fernandez. Look, at least seven players who started that game, if we are honest, came in on the back of a terrible season. This revolution that we were expecting when Ten Hag walked in the door certainly hasn't happened. The truth is, is coaching is one thing, right? You can change a lot with coaching, but if you're not up to it, you can't do it or... You won't do what the manager is asking you to do. You've got absolutely no chance. And Manchester United were well beaten today, Chris.
4: Yeah, I don't know what was more depressing. Actually, the the, the first half performance, the, the, the defeat, you know, the the expectation being punched on on day one, or the fact that they're trying to sign Marco Arnautovic. I mean, that is an absolute <laughs> disgrace, isn't it? It's it's absolutely taking the mickey out of the fan base. More tissues, More A transfer, tissues, more a transfer more they're t- even trying to contemplate. And it makes a mockery of the fact that this is a brave new dawn because ultimately it can't be a brave new dawn because they are saddled with owners who are only interested in lining their own pocket. You look at what Tottenham have done. You look at what Arsenal have done and they're spending over the last two summers. Chelsea desperate to bring in reinforcement. Thomas Tuchel Erling Haaland uh, Man City Darwin Nunez at Liverpool meanwhile Manchester United are going into a season when they really want to be taken seriously as top four contenders with Fred and McTominay in midfield Dallow at right back a disinterested Luke Shaw at left back uh, players in, in, in Marcus Rashford and Sancho who went missing as soon as the chips were down unless they make significant signings between now and September the 1st and, and more than just Frankie de Jong by the way Manchester United have no chance.
3: How are the owners to blame when players don't want to come to the club? How are the owners to blame when, on paper, that is a more expensively assembled team than Brighton? You mentioned seven players from last season, Sam, that were in that team. So it's not as if it was a collection of players thrown together. They know each other. How is the ownership to blame if John Merton and Darren Fletcher go for Ten Hag instead of Conti, who would have got those players fitter, who would have cracked the whip, who would have instilled discipline in that squad, how are the owners to blame for all of those things? They want to spend the money but nobody wants to come. Do they want to spend the money, Darren? Come off it. Well, they yes. don't want to spend Fury their own Timber. money. They want to spend Franky the money they leveraged
4: against the football club. Frankie de Jong's an easy deal to do. It's not very palatable. Just go and pay him the £17 million the Barcelona but owe him. He doesn't and he'll be come, at Old Trafford crook. by now, in my but opinion. But Crook, he doesn't want to come. He can't not want to come. They spent three months chasing this player. That is just ludicrous, <laughs> if that is the case. And you mentioned Darren is. Fletcher and Arnold and Murta. Three appointments for me, not fit for purpose. They need a proper sporting director, uh, someone in a a Paul Mitchell, Michael Edwards type ilk. They should have gone for Antonio Conte. They were scared by Antonio Conte because they knew that he'd make demands, demands that the owners were not willing to satisfy. It's an absolute shambles. They were there today, grinning away in the posh seats, their empire. Is crumbling in front of their eyes.
2: Yeah. Well, the first thing to establish is is that you know you can point the finger at whoever you like, but ultimately the whole club has has got a cultural issue, hasn't it? You know, from top to bottom, it's just not. It's just not elite enough, you know, to, to be a a, a a team that's going to contend at the top of the table. You've got to have elite coaching, elite recruitment, elite business acumen at the top of the tree. Manchester United have got, you know, probably a Europa League standard everything. And as a result of that, they're playing in the Europa League next season. And I think the problem here is, is that a lot of people bought into the fact that Ten Hag could come in and he'd obviously got some clear ideas about how he wants things to, to pan out. But I wonder whether or not, actually, the guy who's been so quick to instill his new methods, he, he he wanted to ditch the usual routine and have the pre-match meal at Old Trafford that disrupted a load of executive boxes, all a little bit superficial. It's like moving the salt and pepper around on the table and trying to make things look a lot better. Ultimately, the real proof is how you play. And they made a dreadful start to the game literally within 15 seconds. You knew this was going to be an incredibly tough day for Manchester United. So where does that come from? Is that that the players not believing in what the manager is asking them to do? Is that the manager coming up with the wrong ideas? Has he, Darren, realised actually today, learnt for the first time, that actually you can't play the Eric Ten Hag Ajax way in the Premier League because it's not going to work? Because there's teams that have been doing working a lot harder and physically a lot more, better than you have over the course of the last couple of years. And they're they're, they're fine attuned to the rigours of this division. I don't know. I can't put my finger on one thing that is a problem with Manchester United. And I think that's the issue. There's
3: so many problems. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that's even before you get anywhere near Ronaldo because he didn't start the match and the onus was on the players that did to show at a very basic level some hard graft, roll their sleeves up and actually represent the shirt with the, the respect it deserves. And they were shambolic. And, you know, there are players who come out and they're talking, we're going to be better and we're going to do this. Actually, I think for once, and this goes against what I believe, because, I, you know, listen, I'm an assistant editor of a, new, of a newspaper, I always want people to talk. Um, but I think for Man United, the only talking they can do is on the pitch and they're not doing it at the moment. As I said before, a lot of money has been spent on that collection of players and they've been playing together for a long time. So it's hard to accept that Ten Hag could not get some level of organisation out of that team in order to at least compete with Brighton. My concern for them as well is that because they've lost that first game, because everyone sees the weaknesses in their defence, because... Everyone sees that they do finish games okay, but they start them very sloppily indeed. This is the beginning of another very difficult spell for Manchester United, and I don't think we've hit rock bottom yet.
2: Um, One more question on Manchester United because this is not a Manchester United podcast. Um, Perry Grove said on our Sunday session this weekend on Talksport that Ronaldo is a distraction. United fans are split. Some will say, don't be ridiculous. He's our only goal scorer. He's the only bit of world-class quality we've got in the ranks. And when we see him come onto the pitch, he, he, played, he helped them play a lot better. They played a lot better when he came on the pitch. But really, and truly, this is not something that the new manager should have had to deal with. When he was given a contract to come to Manchester United, if he was so desperate to play Champions League football, he should have made sure that there was a Champions League release clause. If that wasn't the case, the board should have insisted on some sort of mechanism to get him out if he wasn't going to stay the following summer if they didn't get into the Champions League. Once Eric Ten Hag has done his interview and he said that he wants to get Frankie de Jong, the board have got to come in and make sure that happens. So yeah. the fact that they haven't got rid of Ronaldo for 10 half before he even walked in the door, the fact they haven't got the players that he wants, that says the board are, you know, dere- is a dereliction of duty from the, from the board, really. So Darren's right with John Murtough and Darren, Darren Fletcher and whoever else it is who's doing the recruitment. The fact is they haven't done their job properly. The only problem I've got here is, is that in trying to be diplomatic if that is the case, or maybe he was telling the truth. Ten Hag has been telling us for the last month that he wants to work with Ronaldo, that he wants to keep him involved, that he's a world-class striker, that he wants to put him up front and he can do everything that is going to be asked of him. Now, maybe that was lip service, but it's lip service that only works if you back yourself up. And when you're forced into a corner and you've got to play him, you play him. Or you turn around once he's walked out at half-time in a pre-season friendly and ditch him and punish him. The third way, keep him on the bench, bring him in midway through the second half, that undermines absolutely everything and means that Ten Hag loses total respect from everybody because he hasn't done the punishment, he hasn't backed up his own words, he's tried to come
4: up with some fudge and it's backfired. It was a halfway house, um, but I'm going to have to disagree with Perry about United being better off without Ronaldo because... Who do you replace him with? You know, Christian Eriksen or Fernandes in a false nine. I thought Eriksen was brilliant, by the way. I thought he was Manchester United's standout performer, even though he spent a lot of the game uh, playing in a position that would have been alien to him. Uh, Rashford missed a couple of big opportunities. You can't trust him through the middle as a number nine. You can't trust Anthony Martial to maintain fitness or form. And I'm certainly not willing to put my faith in Marco Arnautovic to come in and replace Ronaldo. So they have to keep him and they have to play him because when he did come on, he gave the whole fan base a lift, he gave the whole stadium a lift. And I think he gave his teammates a lift and he gave them an outlet. And he even high-pressed a couple of times, by the way. I think the the one positive about this Ronaldo scenario, because he has such high personal and individual standards and he wants to keep uh, breaking records and hitting new heights, he won't just down tools. If if he's forced to stay at Manchester United against his wishes – mainly because nobody else wants him, he will still keep performing when he's on the oh, Okay, yeah. He didn't look like he'd down tours when, uh, you know, obviously
2: gone in at halftime, probably expecting to come on, come out for the second half, spent five minutes putting his shin pads on, then took his top off to make sure everybody still realised that he had fantastic abs before he eventually put on his number seven shirt and went out and said, I'm ready, I'm here to save the day and then didn't. Um, Erling Haaland certainly did for Manchester City. Lots of people mocking him last week. But he led the Manchester City line. 2-0, they beat West Ham United on Sunday afternoon. He opened his account with two goals uh, as the champions beat West Ham uh, on Sunday. Manchester City had drawn their last three visits, Darren, to the London Stadium, but this was a different Manchester City and a different West Ham.
3: Well, you're going from the ridiculous to the sublime, aren't you? Because I think as far as City are concerned, they've been running the club the right way, for a very long time. And even though they were winners of the Premier League last season, they've realised that they've got to move players on. It's quite striking. You know, one of the players that moved on, Raheem Sterling, won the league four times, scores goals from the wide areas. He's influential for England. He's still only 27. And still City see the need to upgrade by moving him on. Bernardo Silva could go as well. That's how you run a football club when you're at the top uh, and not just believing in your own hype. Um, and rather than trusting players who are 38 uh, and are not the future, this boy is the don't future. Be,
2: don't be ageist, Darren. Don't be ageist. I mean, as the elder statesman well, of this yeah. podcast, we embrace your abilities, even though you're closing in on pension age. Right? <laughs> and I'm 40 today, by the way.
3: Well, there you Ooh. go. We embrace yours as well. You see how he birthday, can't be Harry.
2: 40 because I went to his 40th birthday. He's had three birthdays since then.
3: Is that the official one then? Uh, is that the queen? But listen, I I, I must just say, I I think as far as Haaland is concerned, in a footballing context, the age thing is, is entirely appropriate because the top teams in England, they refresh their sides. United, when they are at the top, they would refresh their side routinely. This United is hanging on to old players, recruiting older players. And they're falling behind. As far as City are concerned, they're leaving them in their dust. And in Haaland, we are seeing one of the truly great talents of European, I'd argue, world football uh, now starting to take flight. He's going to score 25 goals easily. And I think once, as long as he shows a bit of patience, Wayne Rooney was in the Sunday papers talking about that, Wait for the players outside the box to do their best work and serve chances up on the plate for him, he will fill his boots.
2: Yeah, Crook, um, Roy Keane said on uh, Sky on Sunday, he could get 30 or 40 goals. Can you see him breaking the record set by Mo Salah for a 38-game season, the
4: 32? Every chance, every chance. I think he he, he guarantees goals, he he, he lives for goals. The second goal impressed me because he had an option uh, to lay the ball off to a teammate, to his left hand side. That was never ever a possibility because he is someone who just loves finding the back of the net and it was such a clinical finish as well the nonchalant celebration barely broke into a smile post-match because this is just business for him, he he, he is a, a businessman who deals in the commodity of goals and the fact that even in the space of a week um, the, the, the difference in the wavelength between uh, Haaland and the rest of his teammates was so striking, I think he's going to be very difficult to stop and I think therefore they're going to be very difficult to stop as well yeah, very impressive. And just
2: remember, a week ago, everyone was laughing at him because he missed one chance in the community field. I don't think there would be too many giggling uh, now. A uh, quick word on West Ham. They did look there for the taking, didn't they? Because despite a summer of rebuilding, they somehow contrived to start the season with just one fit centre-half. Then they lost Fabianski to injury. Alphonse Ariola came off the bench and within seconds had given away a penalty. It wasn't the great start that uh, David Moyes was hoping for, Darren.
3: No, it wasn't. And if anything, even though they were outclassed, class it was a, a, a stark wake-up call for the club, really, because they cannot possibly afford to start once the window closes. They can't afford not to have more reinforcements. They need more up front. They need another left back. They need another centre-half. They need more in midfield as well. I know that they're planning for a very big finish to the window, and I would expect them to have far more depth by the time we reach September the 1st.
2: Oh, it's a teaser. It's a teaser. They're going shopping. Where are they going to shop? Crook is following the transfer window for TalkSport, our football correspondent. And um, I'm sure that there's a lot of clubs that will still be dipping into the transfer market. Not sure that uh, Liverpool will be one of them. 2-2 on Saturday, live on Talksport. Mitrovic scoring twice, Salah and Nunez on target for Liverpool. What a great start to the season for Fulham Football Club! They led twice against uh, Liverpool. Mitrovic a real handful. I thought Palinja was terrific in the centre of midfield, snapping away, made a cracking impact, worked at a real intensity and that really troubled Liverpool. In fact, Liverpool didn't really up their game until James Milner came off the bench and they brought Nunez into the team and he made
4: a great impact. Yeah, Nunez was was a real handful, uh, making a mockery of my uh, pre season predictions that he might struggle <laughs> to make the step up to the Premier League. I think I'll um track <laughs> that one. But you are an idiot, one.
2: aren't you? You just like <laughs> you know you just called yourself a, it's all sorts of problems by having that Manchester United bias. The only people that are going to live up to the deflation of, of of expectation are Manchester United. I'm afraid this season. So you're just going to have to take a huge dose
4: of pain over the course of the season from gloating Lewis there. It it started already, but I I think uh, Darren and I might well disagree on my next point. Certainly Adebayo, uh, Akifem, a big Liverpool fan uh, with us on the boot room on Sunday night, disagreed. I thought, again, the first goal that the Mitrovic header just exploited uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold's vulnerability. We've seen it before, uh, beaten in the air at at the far post. Akifem's view was that Mitrovic can bully any fullback. I think it's a problem for Trent Alexander-Arnold. I think he needs to be a better defender. I think that actually the whole defence had a major
2: problem with that goal. Uh, getting down the right-hand side, getting the cross into the middle of the box. If you notice, Mitrovic's movement means that he peels off the centre-half, off Matip and moves out towards Trent Alexander-Arnold. Alexander-Arnold's coming in, does does, does a little bit to get him, but doesn't do enough to push him off the ball. I do agree with Akin Fenwa. I think he can bully anyone. But I do think at the same time, the structure of the defence in that moment wasn't right. They probably should have stopped the cross from coming in in the first place, Darren.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just a... It's funny, actually, because I'm the newspaper man and and, and I'm the one who's basically supporting the players. Well, you guys... Well, not you, Sam, but crookie. you're killing this boy whose consistency has helped him to win a league, a Champions League, an FA Cup, a league... This guy would not have won what he's won without a level of consistency that few players of his age group is able to match. Uh, Mitrovic had a good game. He's allowed to have a good game. The Liverpool defence had a bad game. Van Dyke wasn't great. Are we saying that Van Dyke, the transformative player in that defence, is no good, has got vulnerabilities in his game? Of course we're not. It was... it. It's okay for Mitrovic to have a good game, you know, and he scored a terrific goal and Fulham were were really good, but I'm not getting carried away by Liverpool. Last year, this time last year, we were discussing whether Spurs were going to be incredible and City were going to struggle because they'd lost to Spurs. And look what happened to the respective teams during the course of this that first half. I don't this think anyone
2: thing. thought that Spurs were going to be incredible, but we were worried about Manchester well, City. Well, I,
3: I don't know. I don't know because the performance was outstanding, Sam. The performance was outstanding. Yeah. I, I, incredible would probably be pushing it. But the point I'm trying to make is that City lost their first game and yeah. there was lots of talk about, you know, their vulnerabilities and they responded... Superbly well And I think Liverpool Will do that as well They are too good Too organised Too classy Too consistent Not to bounce back From this And I guarantee In a couple of weeks time We'll be eulogising About them all over again
2: Look look, I think they had a bad day I thought Salah Had a bad day actually And um, you know He scored a goal Which he didn't know Too much about um, And he created a goal which was a delicious sort of combination with Nunez, but he didn't get involved much. Actually, the biggest threat they had was Luis Diaz. But I think overall, sort of the, that penalty that Van Dyke gave away, which was the first penalty that Liverpool conceded in 52 Premier League games, sort of summed up their day, really. They just weren't on it, they just weren't at it. And that was a bit of an issue. Um, Jurgen Klopp uh, caused headlines for whining about the schedule, right? Uh, comparing it to climate change. Now he's moaning about the pitch being too dry. Um, That was one reason that they didn't play quick or sharp enough. He was frustrated though, wasn't he, with uh, the performance because a draw's last season cost them the title really because they, I think they lost less games than Manchester City over the course of the campaign.
4: Yeah, and listen, you can't win or lose a Premier League title on the first day of the season, but you can make a statement and lay down a benchmark, Manchester City and Erling uh, Haaland did that. Liverpool didn't. And uh, listen, I think at the end of the season, if you draw at Fulham, it's two points dropped. It's not a point gained.
2: Yeah, I um, I still think Liverpool win the league. So I'm sure they'll bounce back. I love Nunez. I think he's a terrific asset to the Premier League. Haaland looks great. The shootout between these two clubs is going to be fabulous. I'll tell you what, we are going to go on some ride with these two teams. Liverpool's midfield's a bit of an issue though, Darren, isn't it? No Oxlade-Chamberlain, no Jones, no Cater. Now, Thiago's got a hamstring injury. I doubt they're going to bolster that area because they've got quite a lot of players that belong to them, even if they're not all fit. But fitness is uh, sort of caught up with them here.
3: As far as Klopp is concerned, he's not showing himself afraid to promote kids from uh, the lower, from the junior ranks, basically. So I think he'll find a way to get past that. He still does have a lot of options at his disposal. I don't have any concerns about that. As I said, it's very early days and with the firepower that he has, he can configure a team to be able to bounce back from this. It's normally the case that Liverpool are able to do that. So I don't have any concerns about them at all.
2: I was a little bit disappointed that the uh, Riverside uh, stand wasn't fully open uh, for this game because um, there is a swimming pool right at the very top of it as part of a sort of health club. Uh, my mission this year is to get a commentary game at Craven Cottage and have a dip all at the same time. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm Could quite happy for us to... Can we have a, a little pool party up there? That would be good. It'll make a splash. Uh, right, talking of making a splash, Arsenal... Uh, had a good first Friday night of the season as we started our live coverage of Friday Night Football on TalkSport.
6: And then it begins. The 22-23 Premier League season. Fridays, Saturdays and Mondays will never be the same again.
2: Lift-footed, it's very high towards Zinchenko,
6: far post. He heads the ball back across the face. The goal. Martinelli is there with a header on target. And Arsenal score the first goal of the Premier League season from a header, from a corner. And Martinelli is celebrating... Now Zaha in the number 10 position, threads it through to Eze, who's faced up by Ramsdale, makes a big save. And it's a big miss from Eberici Eze. Saka takes over now, dances into the box, gets to the byline. Low cross into the near post, deflection and in. And whether or not Mark he knew too much about it, it was his deflection that has taken it beyond Vicente Guaita. And all three points are secure for Mikel Arteta. New season, new cast, a much better first episode the psychodrama that is often Arsenal Football Club comes up trumps on opening night. They've beaten Crystal Palace by two goals to nil.
2: Crystal Palace nil, Arsenal two, live on Talksport on Friday night. Martinelli and an own goal from Mark Gurhey, inspired by Bakayu Saka, uh, separated the two teams. They started like a train on Friday night, didn't they, Crook? Um, but it was a steam train because they quickly ran out of energy. Um, within about 25 minutes. 25 minutes of total football, by the way, and it was absolutely exhilarating. But if they can increase the length of time that they can produce that for, especially from the likes of Saka and Jesus, they're going to be a handful for
4: anyone. Yeah, they are. I mean, you have to say Crystal Palace missed a couple of uh, big opportunities at key moments that could have changed the course uh, of the evening. But it it was impressive, certainly the start that Arsenal made. And then I guess it comes down to game management and being able to grind out results, which is uh, another facet top team's have to show over the course of a season. I was impressed with Gabriel Jesus. I think I'm right in saying he's the most picked uh, fantasy league player, something like 75% um, in the official Premier League game have picked him uh, because a lot of people are expecting him to have a big season. And I think he's expecting himself to have a big season. I think you can see the way that he took responsibility. He's relishing being that main man uh, in a team which he never really had at Manchester City. He brings that title-winning experience. I think he's going to have a terrific season. One of the things that really irked me, though, uh, about
2: the whole of the weekend and surprised me was the lack of changes. Now, managers and head coaches have constantly argued, especially the ones uh, in charge of big clubs, to have five substitutes available to them. Yet, Brendan Rodgers hardly used a substitution. Eric Ten Hag waited till 89 minutes to bring on three. Players which disrupted the flow of the game and ultimately meant that they didn't end up uh, getting an equaliser, which they were apparently in search of at that time, although it didn't look like it. And Mikel Arteta waited till really late to make his changes and bring on Tierney and Nketiah. When those two changes Arsenal were screaming for for about 10 minutes, they were under the cosh, they were sitting deeper, they were getting pushed back, they needed an outball, they needed somebody to to just stiffen up that left-hand side and the sort of reluctance to roll the dice. I wonder if it's because it's all a little bit new to them, Darren, this this, this, this idea that you can make five
3: changes. Yeah, I think you're right, uh, because a lot of the teams that I saw made the changes late, lots of triple changes towards mm. the end of games. Um, uh, Man United did, did a similar thing. They brought on three of the younger players, what, with a, a couple of minutes to go. Um, I think as time goes on, you will see teams use those uh, options more judiciously because I think um, they'll have to protect players, particularly as the fixture list starts to get a a bit more congested. But certainly I think it's a bit new to them and that's why we saw so many late changes rather than uh, ones that affected the game.
2: William Saliba was pretty good, wasn't he? Uh, 62 touches, 50, 46 of 49 uh, passes completed, seven clearances, seven possessions won. Uh, not a bad Premier League debut for the league 1 player of the season, young player of the season last year, Crook.
4: Yeah, and obviously Arsenal fans have been crying out for him to, to, to come back and, and to be utilised. I think you have to say, uh, looking at that display, Mikel Arteta probably did the right thing, sending him out on loan last season, getting that bit of uh, top-level experience. And it's a cliche, but he will be Uh, Like a new signing, I think Arsenal are in quite a good place at this moment in time. Yeah, uh, Martin Keown
2: absolutely loved watching William Saliba on Friday night. He was part of the commentary team and uh, he got very, very excited whenever there was a big crunching challenge. You know, like when you're sometimes doing a commentary with a striker and someone scores a goal from 25 yards and they get very excited and knock a cup of coffee over or something like that. Martin Keown was getting very enthusiastic about a slide challenge that was made by DeCore <laughs> and William Saliba jumping in, in the in the in the penalty area and diving in with his feet and nicking the ball away as Palace came bearing down on goal. It's different people appreciate different things. He certainly loved that 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 sort of crunching tackle moment. Um a quick, quick well on Arsenal. Yeah they are they part of this series which
3: we've all sat down and watched have you watched that now Darren I have. I've been watching um one of my favourite aspects of it, actually, is um, Aaron Ramsdale's dad. Uh, yes, and his hat. Because he, yeah, and, and I, I, I am fairly certain that we'll see him on the TV show Gobblebox fairly soon. <laughs> because he's such a terrific watch, being afraid uh, to watch his son and getting nervous. And it just—I I actually thought of him when. Uh, Ramsdale showed a bit of footwork that left a few hearts in mouths during the match. Um, overall, I've got to say Arsenal were terrific. You can see what Arteta's trying to do, the young team he's trying to build. You look at his treatment of uh, Aubameyang now in relation to Ten Hag's treatment or maybe Man United. Maybe Ten Hag is a bit unfair, but certainly Man United not being decisive and getting rid of, Man- of Ronaldo. You look at Arsenal, Arteta, the hit they took so that they could indulge the players, invest in the players, build a team for the future. Now look, they look strong for it.
2: The boy said to you, trust the process. Maybe Manchester United need to trust the process. Trust Arteta's process. That's what you got to do. you just got to cut your losses, get out of there and crack on. Um, the reason I mentioned the all or nothing documentaries because um, Arsenal are all or nothing, aren't they? They win or they lose, um, because none of their last 18 Premier League games has ended in a draw, which is the longest run without a draw in the competition among the 20 current sides, uh, while only once of the Gunners had a longer such run, and that was four years ago. I mean, it's an amazing run of results without a draw. Well done uh, to them. I thought tactically it was really interesting, because in the first half, you sort of saw Zinchenko playing as a, um, a left-back that strayed into midfield, and Xhaka would go out wide left, and that sort of caused a bit of confusion for the Palace midfield. It took them a little while to get to grips with that. In the end, I think Palace realised the best way to sort of get round um, Arsenal's high press is, is to bypass it completely. Get Georgiou Anderson on the ball. He was pinging long diagonals from one end to the other. And that changed the nature of the game, really. And that was uh, that was the tactic they used to get out quite a lot. And it was causing problems for the right back, Ben White. We dealt with it mostly OK. And then eventually it was causing problems for Zinchenko, got done a couple of times in the second half. But it was a good, solid victory. I spoke to Mikhail Arteta afterwards and I said to him, you know, it's probably a game that maybe last year you might not have walked away with three points from. And he said, well, we never know that. But certainly we are better this year than we were last. Hold
1: up. life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much like
6: unexpected medical costs that's why united healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs learn more at uh1.com
0: the premier league all-access podcast is proud to be brought to you by ladbrooks there's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch with the latest odds, form guides, and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18, plus, be gamble T's and C's apply.
2: Tottenham Hotspur will certainly be better this year than they were last year. Southampton, I'm not so sure. Antonio Conte wanted Tottenham to be competitive. Certainly they looked that way uh, as they beat Southampton by four goals to one. Uh, Kane, Kulusevski, Son linking up beautifully. They, they sort of fit together like a, a Tiffany bracelet, didn't they? They were linking beautifully. And the most impressive thing about this was uh, that none of the six
3: new signings, Darren, started the game. Yeah, absolutely impressive. I was at this fixture last season and Spurs were awful, really. They took the lead and then Southampton came back to overwhelm them. And Ralph Hasen, who had a little chuckle about it in the post-match press conference. This time around, they were utterly outclassed Southampton and Spurs just looked so good. I've been saying for a long time, as you guys know, that Conte was the man for Manchester United. You look at the way he's transformed.
2: I'm sure I know
3: how you say that. Before. <laughs> you look at the way he's yeah, transformed. going to have to go first, back through first. some
2: of the tapes, I think.
3: Last season and um, also in pre-season, they look fitter. They look more organised. And he said, now the final thing I got to change is the mentality. But you can see some of the mentality having changed already because they never panicked when they fell behind. I know you're at the game, Crookie. Um, and so you'll be able to underline this, but... They were a side now that shows you they are not solely reliant on Son and Kane for the goals. They can score from anywhere on the pitch.
2: Crookie yeah. wasn't at the game. I don't even think he saw the game, did you, mate? But um, I saw the you know, highlights. Yeah, you saw uh, the highlights. I thought they were really good, actually. And I think that Sessegnon uh, C- has really upped his game in pre-season. He's got bulkier, Set a gym routine. Uh, Dyer himself has done very, very well in sort of slimming down and getting completely fit. He scored his first goal in three years in the Premier League. Kulusevski was man the match. Kane didn't even score. Son didn't even score in this game, which is frightening for opponents. It is the biggest opening day Victory in 36 years for Tottenham Hotspur. But Southampton, Crook, Southampton, they faced 18 shots. And they went once they went behind, I can't really remember them getting very often into the Tottenham half. Last year, there was a massive problem with throwing away leads. We talked about it, we made a joke about a dog and not letting Hoot take him for a walk because of the fact that ultimately he would, lose the lead um, but, but, but this is a history repeating itself you know this is a real problem for Southampton they've, they've, they've had a very bad record you know four opening day games under Ralph
4: Harsen and they've lost the whole lot that's a record yeah, I don't think he just lost the lead uh, this weekend. I think he probably lost the dog as well, to be honest. Um, <laughs> the, the, the defending was appalling. And it's an area of the team that they've not really invested in this summer. I know they've got a, a young centre back from Germany, but obviously he started on the bench. So it was Benderek and Salisu again. They're just not a great combination for me. I think they're in need of a little bit more uh, streetwise Premier League experience in that area because the, the manner of the goals they conceded, particularly the own goal from Sallis. I mean, what are you doing with your feet there? They were what too easy. Doing. Doing. They were too easy to play against. And even the dire goal. Um, Spurs were given so much time on that left-hand side to pick out a cross. It was, it, it was embarrassing, really. And um, they got what they deserved. They got a pummeling, I think, Southampton, uh, Ralph Hasen, who just said, we got battered in, in the post-match press conference. And they... They can't afford too many batterings because it's one win now in 14 stretching back to last season. They wouldn't be the first team to end one season badly and then that form limp into the second and suddenly they find themselves in a relegation battle. I still think they need a bit more experience between now and the end of the window.
2: Uh, Saturday, 5.30, Jorginho's penalty meant that Chelsea picked up three points from their away trip to Everton. Chelsea wearing their white and ice mint hoops one of a number of kits not available until the end of August because of a COVID log jam. Um, I thought that was about the the most exciting thing about Chelsea yesterday. Um, Sterling played well enough, Koulibaly excellent actually, but there was very little thrill about Chelsea, I must be honest, Darren.
3: Yeah, but what you have to do when you're not playing particularly well is win and find a way to win. And that's what they managed to do. They showed tremendous character. They weren't that solid at the back. Had Everton had any more up front than Anthony Gordon and Dwight McNeil, they probably would have managed to get a point as it was. They didn't have enough guile or no, no, know how, Uh, and Chelsea managed to escape to victory. And I think... Saturday was a warning to them that they can't possibly rely on what they've got. There's talk now that they are going to look at one or two options uh, in the transfer window, and not before time they need more up front. They were gutted to lose Lewandowski to, buy, uh, to, to Barcelona, and they are they have accepted that they've got to get more. Brozier did you know, okay when he when he came on, but I think they need more experience.
2: Yeah, I mean, if, if Chelsea are going to go back into the market, will they be using the Manchester United method of downloading the database from the Football Manager 2014 and looking at players like Marco Nautovich, or will they be you know, using a scout, an actual scout, do you think? What do you reckon, Crook? <laughs>
4: uh, well, I covered the story in my notebook on Saturday, but I'd heard uh, quite strong whispers that, that Wilfred Zaha could be a possibility for Chelsea. Obviously, he's got a year left on his contract at, at Crystal Palace. He can play through the middle, he can play out wide. They're looking for that versatility in attack. The, the problem that Chelsea have got is the problem that a lot of clubs who are looking for number nines have got this summer. There aren't that many out there. Uh, and the best ones, uh, harland Nunez and Lewandowski have already been snapped up and Harry Kane still has two years left on his contract at Tottenham. So where do you go uh, to yeah, find I- a proven number nine? Everton had got
2: a similar sort of problem. They played with Anthony Gordon up front. He was different class, working hard like a maniac as a lone striker, which is not his preferred position. I thought he was absolutely terrific in the game. And actually, I do think that Frank Lampard deserves a little bit of credit because, you know, Mina and Godfrey get injuries in that game. They've already got problems for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. You know, they've been probably sold a little bit of a pup in terms of they haven't got any of the investment they thought they were going to get, the FFP stuff. But they played well. They look like a team. They look driven. They look determined to get something out of the game. And it was only a stupid, stupid challenge from Decore that separated the two teams because of the penalty. I actually think the Godfrey incident was was horrible, but it was wholly avoidable because the ball was out of play from a blind back pass from Godfrey. The Lino should have seen that, but didn't. Pickford should have just let it go because it was well over the line. And actually, by keeping it in and keeping the ball alive, he puts his team under pressure rather than gets them out of pressure. That means Godfrey has to dive back and run and try and get back in. He jumps in, hurts himself. And it's it's just a nightmare scenario because he's a good young player. And now they're going to have to replace him. I think they might get Connor Cody. That's what they're trying to do. I know that Southampton have expressed an interest in him as well, but as I understand it, Cody lives about ten minutes from the Everton training ground. His son's already in the academy, and I think he's probably likely to go to Goodison Park. So that may well be something that happens in the next couple of days. I think it's but done. Still, it's done. You think it's done? Do you, you think it's done? Yeah. Dusted? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I knew they'd had a conversation. Um, late last week, but I think yesterday's events sort of made them push the button. Saturday's events made them push the button on that. Um, okay, let's uh, get to four more remaining fixtures. Hey, hey. Leicester 2, Brentford 2. Um, substitute Josh De Silva with a late rocket and boy, what a hit it was. Salvaged Brentford a point as they come back from two goals down to draw 2-2 in the Premier League. Um, Brendan Rogers. I, I just don't get um, the negativity around Brendan Rodgers that has sort of been coming out of Leicester for quite a while now. Um, I understand that they obviously dropped a couple of points from this scenario, but he hasn't signed a single player. He's the only club in Europe's top five leagues not to sign a single player. Tactically, he was getting pulled apart on the uh, Sunday session. What, what did you think of of how he reacted to that second half, Darren?
3: Well, they're throwing two goals away. So I, you would have to say that that pulling apart was justified because if you go two in up against Brentford, you've got to be holding on to that lead at home. And they were unable to do that. And I, I'm not too sure that bodes well for the season. Bear in mind, too, they've lost players. They haven't signed anyone. They're about to lose for Fana and with Chelsea coming in big, very big for him. There's a separate debate to be had, maybe on another week, as to whether that many of the players that have gone for between 70 and £100 million in the Premier League have been successes. The only ones I can think of are Alisson and Van Dijk. The others, uh, the jury's either out or they've been disappointing. Uh, Kepa Arriva-Balaga, Harry Maguire, Kai Havertz. Kai Havertz, has he been a, a, a massive success?
2: I think we're being sarcastic, I mean, actually, Darren.
3: Well, there you go. Um, look, <laughs> in, in terms of... I, I, I knew you were well when you said Harry Maguire, to be fair. Um,
2: I didn't. That was him. That was him. I didn't say anything about Harry Maguire. I like Harry Maguire.
3: <laughs> but look, I, I, I just think as far as Leicester are concerned, no one's having a pop for the sake of it at them. They're not in a great position. Uh, but it did look, when they went tuning up, as though they were going to answer... All of that negativity ahead of the weekend in the right way, blowing those three points will only increase the concern around the club that it could be a difficult season.
2: What is wrong with Brentford, by the way? Why do they not start playing to the second half? Uh, 70% of their goals uh, come after the break. And they were excellent at coming back from defeat last year, but they seem to have to go a goal down or two goals down in order to uh, get going. Nottingham Forests were beaten on their return to the Premier League 23 years after being relegated. 23 years and 82 days, actually, was the gap between their two matches, their last two matches in the Premier League. Uh, Newcastle beat them 2-0. Cher and Wilson with the goals. Cher's goal was out of this world. A rocket from about 25 yards out. Right side, top corner, Bosch have that. Dean Henderson, getting nowhere near that. And I don't think there'll be too much criticism of him for that. I mean, one or two sort of people said, you know, near post, et cetera, et cetera. But I think when it flies in like that from an unexpected range, there's not too much you can do about it. Um, But Nottingham Forest worried me a little bit. I thought they
4: looked a little bit disjointed, Crook. Yeah, I agree. Um, I was expecting more from them. Um, Henderson, I think, has opened himself up to criticism with some of his comments uh, to talk sport about his move from Manchester United. Because let's be honest, he's the best goalkeeper in the world um, in his own head. So you'd expect him to be saving shots even from 25 yards. I'm being a little bit facetious there. But you I think are you're being right. a little bit facetious because uh, last year you were saying he should be the number one. Mm, don't know if I said that. I think um, yeah, you did. Yeah, he did. You definitely did. Two against one. But yeah, it wasn't a great return to the Premier League for Forrest. And I think, again, it's an illustration, despite the fact they spent so much money and brought brought in so many players, that it is a huge step up from the Championship. I thought Jesse Lingard uh, was quite average, actually. But I wanted to focus on Callum Wilson, because, you know, I'm a massive fan of Callum Wilson. I have been ever since Bournemouth signed him. I think he's got so many attributes As a striker, I think he's a menace for defenders. His pace, his movement, he knows where the goal is. If he stays fit and he doesn't go to the World Cup, that's a travesty.
2: Yeah, um, look, he's identified as a player who could make the difference for Newcastle on our Thursday podcast. We both said that, and uh, he's become only the second player after Alan Shearer to score in three consecutive openers for Newcastle United. Leeds, leads, 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 or Team USA? Um, Because towards the end of the game, they were all chanting, USA. USA, uh, beat uh, Team Portugal Wolves two goals to one. Uh, Rodrigo uh, and an Ait nori own goal uh, with a difference after Pedenc had given Wolves the lead. But uh, Leeds American Idol's produced a performance that led uh, Ellen Road to get to its feet at the full-time whistle. Uh, Brendan Aronson is claiming the second goal, even though it's credited as an Ait nori OG. But um, I thought they responded well to going a goal down, Darren. (laughs)
3: you <laughs> Yeah, and it wasn't just going to go down. It was to all of the negativity around the squad. Phillips had gone, Rafinha had gone. Lots of people had predicted that they'd have a difficult season. So they needed to make a statement. And I think they did in the match, not just in winning, but with the character that they showed and the willingness to fight for Jesse Marsh, who himself got into a fight with Bruno Large yeah. on the touchline, saying a, a few unseemly, things. It
2: unseemly that, wasn't it? A bit unseemly.
6: It was.
3: I can understand why Bruno Large was annoying as well. Uh, He said that he had heard a few things from the Leeds camp during the match that he didn't think were particularly palatable. And then at the end, Jesse Marsh wanted to shake hands. And like the average person, he said, well, no, you can't just come and shake my hand after you've been saying one or two things on the touchline. Jesse Marsh played it down in his press conference. Um, But, you know, we're all human and you can understand why Bruno was a little bit annoyed. But as I say... I'm, I'm particularly pleased for Marsh because I said this when he arrived at the club last season. Lots of people expected him to fail. There's this snobbery towards American coaches who come into the Premier League, into English football. People don't expect them to get the game, understand the game, be good at the game. And he's shown that he is a good leader of men and he's been able to keep them safe and get them off to a good start.
2: Yep. Um Wolverhampton Wanderers, a bit worried about them. They've got long-standing problems. Bruno Lager said they were the better team during the match, but they haven't won now in any of their last eight league games stretching back to last season. Obviously, I haven't got a striker. They're playing Pedes as the force nine, and uh, they just looked a little bit short for me. And they should have given away a penalty in the first half when Joe Sá came out and smacked Christensen one on the chops. Yeah. He was one of the best goalkeepers in the league last year. Brilliant to have him fantasy football, but
4: this year I'm not so sure he's going to have as good a time. Crook. Well, just in terms of uh, reinforcements, I think Bruno Large came out after the game and said that they needed to, to dip into the market. I think they're going to do that. Um, they're progressing, as I understand it for a move uh, involving uh, the, the Valencia attacker playmaker if you like wide man I think he's quite versatile uh, Goncalo Guedes £27.5 million the concern is does that mean that somebody might be on their way because of course Nottingham Forest is still keen on Morgan Gibbs White. Guedes
2: Guedes I'm just check the nationality of Guedes he's not Portuguese is he <laughs> and his agent might be a certain George Mendez oh, God, he'll fit right in Uh, Bournemouth 2, Aston Villa nil. Aston Villa stunned by Bournemouth uh, as the Cherries, whose lack of spending led many to predict they might be ripe for the picking. um, Scored the fastest goal of the day and capped a good performance with a clinch of 10 minutes from time. Uh, Alex, you were at this one. You're going to enjoy telling us how bad Aston Villa are.
4: Yeah, there was no fluke about it for Bournemouth, uh, to be honest. A couple of standout performers, Jefferson Lerma, deployed as a makeshift center back so that they could play with a back 3 that Scott Parker uh, wants to go with this season great in both boxes pops up with the early goal and defended really well as well. Kiefer Moore, as I've already mentioned, fantastic header. Marcus Tavernier, who Scott Parker told me on Thursday that he wasn't completely convinced he was ready uh, to make his debut having only been in the building a week. He was ready. He was absolutely terrific and I think he's one to keep an eye on in the Premier League um, this season. They were very physical. Uh, Bournemouth, Scott Parker made no apologies for that. He said afterwards, we want to be horrible to play against, particularly here, at the vitality. They were certainly that, but Villa were dreadful. Uh, Diego Carlos, bullied by Kiefer Moore. That would be a worry considering the money they spent on him. Kamara in midfield wasn't in the game. Coutinho may as well have been on Bournemouth Beach. He had so little impact. Danny Ings did okay up front, but I'm still not convinced he's going to bang in the goals. Ollie Watkins came on, didn't really make much of a difference. And Tyrone Mings left on the bench and some interesting comments from Stephen Gerrard on that afterwards, suggesting, I think the phrase was, when he looks me in the eye and shows me that he's ready to play, he'll be back in the team. So maybe that... Uh, decision to strip Tyron Mings of the captaincy wasn't quite as amicable as maybe it's been made out. I think they got problems. Villa. They spent a lot of money. The owners are ambitious. They want a top ten finish. They look miles off that to me. Oh, okay. So,
2: and this is why you've decided after one week to change your prediction from Scott Parker to uh, Aston Villa's. Steven Gerrard the first manager to go who are you got next week where are you
4: going next week because we're just going to give them a little heads up that it may be them next I'm at Cardiff next week in the championship so uh, they should be fairly safe I like oh, Scott I, Parker I like Scott
2: I, We know I, you like Scott Parker because you slagged him off for about six months and now <laughs> he's your mate he's, you know you think he's great go on Look, sorry, I've Dan. got a
3: sickle and a black um, uh, hood if you like because you are the grim Rupert yeah. i thinking um, it's he's just grim actually <laughs> <laughs> You remind me. You remind me of Abraham Grant. Whenever a manager was in trouble, you'd always see Abraham Grant sitting in the stands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was at frat like, Fratton
6: Park on Saturday. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh dear Listen It's been great to uh, Spend the evening With you both As always uh, Game day podcast Returns on Thursday So Thursday afternoon We'll be previewing All the weekend's action We've got our first Monday night football Upcoming next week So we'll look into that It's Liverpool Against Crystal Palace uh, Game day returns Next Saturday Remember Download the podcast Tell all your friends About us uh, Get involved on Twitter As well Darren is on there At Mira Darren Crook is on there Were you at Alex underscore Crook Correct Something like that. And I'm at Sam Matherface. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. This is the Game Day Podcast from the wonderful Talksport. We're powered by fans. that's why we want to hear from you.
0: The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on TalkSport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mmm!